Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. And uh, it's the Friday broadcast, and so I always want to remind you on Friday that it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, and so why don't you get to church this weekend? And uh, maybe you've been watching church online, and that's okay, but there's nothing like being with God's people. I tell you, there's so much energy when you worship together with other believers, and uh, there's so much uh, fellowship that takes place, and listen, we need one another. And a matter of fact, your pastor needs you. And uh, he's probably sick and tired of preaching to a camera. He wants to preach to you live and in person. So why don't you get up and plan on going to church this Sunday? If you don't have a place to worship, we'd love to have you down at Hickory Ridge Community Church. And uh, we'll make you feel right at home. So come on out and worship with us. Well, on this Friday broadcast, if you were with me a week ago Friday, I began going through a book by my dear friend, Harold Vaughn. And the book is entitled Biblical Protocols for prayer. And it's all about approaching God's throne. You know, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so this book here is straight out of God's word. And what Dr. Vaughn has done is he's taken different passages of scripture and he's he's used it as a protocol for prayer. In other words, how do I come before the throne of God? Well, we got about halfway through it last week, and so hopefully we'll get through the rest of the book today. And I'm just kind of highlighting a few things that he has uh, shared in this book, and I'm hoping what it's going to do is it will uh, give you the desire to pray. And I think that is half the battle, right? Uh, That desire to really communicate with the God of the universe. You know, our opportunity to pray is made possible because of Jesus Christ. Paul said to Timothy, There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that was made possible because Christ died for our sins. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. Now, it's not talking about the fact that God cannot audibly hear what we're saying. It's talking about the fact that God chooses not to hear us because of sin. Jesus made it possible for our sin to be forgiven to be eradicated so that there's now a clear line of communication between us and God. And we don't have to go through another person. We don't have to go through another man, another woman. We go directly through Jesus Christ. And even when we don't know how to pray, uh, the Spirit causes us to say things, and the Spirit gives us the Word. And even if our prayers are messed up, it goes through Jesus. He interprets our prayers. (laughs) I think a lot of times that Jesus leads over to his father and says, well, What's, what Brother Calvin down there is really trying to say to you is this. Uh, he, he interprets my prayers. He gets the message across to God the Father. So how do we go about this matter of praying? What are the protocols that we should use? Well, let me give them to you one at a time here. Number one is with humility. Psalm 95, 6. David said, Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. You see, God is the humblest person in the universe. Even from his high and lifty position, he associates with fallen man. Jesus himself humbled himself when he died on the cross for our sins. When I think about humility, I think about the fact that humility is not thinking less of myself. Humility is not thinking about myself at all. I mean, we think about What Jesus did for us, he wasn't thinking about himself when he was on that cross. No, he was thinking about us. He was looking forward to going back to heaven. He was looking at a future goal, but he didn't get hung up on, woe is me, I'm suffering. 
he realized that he was carrying out the mission that God had for him. His father sent him here to the earth to die for the sins of all of mankind. You know, true humility is right thinking about God and about ourselves. We must see God in his high and lifty position. Why? Because he is authoritative. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is the judge of all of mankind. So we must lower ourselves in the opinion that we have of ourselves. You know, pride is always involved in comparison. Conceit says, I'm cleaner than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. The arrogant mindset puts a person at odds with God. A humble God and a proud heart will never get together. It is impossible to draw near to God with a heart that is filled with pride. God keeps the proudful in heart at a distance from him. But the humble, he comes right up and gets close to them. You see, humility is more than admitting our wrongs. It is believing the almost unbelievable good things that God says about us. When I think about how God has blessed us with the spirit of humility, this is a protocol. It is the most beneficial protocol that we have when we come before the throne of God's grace. It is amazing grace. This is the prescribed way to enter into his presence. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. So humility gets God's attention. Here's another protocol. We call this the tender-heartedness protocol. In Hebrews 3, 8, it says, harden not your heart. You know, heart disease has been called the silent killer. Each year, more women die from heart disease than from all other types of cancer combined. One-fourth of heart attacks suffered by men is unsuspected before it hits them. One-third of women who suffer heart attacks have no pain, no symptoms beforehand. We can have a heart attack and not even, in some cases, be aware of it. We can even have a heart attack and not know it. But the deadly effects of physical heart disease pale in comparison with the damage caused by a, a spiritual heart disease. Its effect on our prayer lives is unbelievable. A hardening of the arteries is a characteristic of a heart problem. In the same way, a hardening of the attitude is a symptom of spiritual heart disease. So we are commanded, do not harden your heart. Keep that heart soft. You see, our capacity to hear God and the speaking of his voice is directly linked to the softness of our souls. I think many times we miss the message that God has for us, not because God is not speaking clearly, not because the message is not available to us. It is because our hearts are not in tune with him. Our hearts have become bitter. Our hearts have become hard. You see, the book of Hebrews warns about this hardness of a heart. In the book of Revelation, it also warns about the hardness of hearing. You know, all seven of the churches that are are identified in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 receive the following message. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. You see, God was speaking. But only those with hearing ears discerned his words. Not everyone was capable of receiving the message. Only those with listening ears. You see, a proud heart is a hard heart. When our conscience is seared, when our mind is distracted, 
we cannot hear God speaking. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was so proud in his heart that it actually produced a hardening of his mind. God chastened him for his blasphemous acts. He was sent out to pasture until his heart was humbled and softened. We are commanded to be kind to one another, tender-hearted toward one another. You know, difficult times can produce a calluses of our hearts. Periods of severe testing may often cause us to have that heart that becomes hard. Having a tender heart is our responsibility. You know, you think about life. Sometimes we go through terrible circumstances. But I want you to know that your circumstances can do one of two things to you. They can harden you or they can soften you. Really, the choice is up to you. When was the last time that God squeezed your heart and you came to him and your heart affected the tears in your eyes and you were softened? You know, I think about allergies. <laughs> you know, all my life, I have suffered allergies and they get worse when I moved to the Hampton Roads area. Well, years ago, it got so bad that I decided I would go to the doctor and, and they did all these tests and, and they did uh, they found out I was allergic to 19 different things. And, and so I would go three times a week and I would get these things called allergy shots, two in one arm and two on the other, three times a week. Well, I finally gave up on the allergy shots because they didn't seem to be working. I finally says, this is not going to work. And so I went to the doctor and says, have you got another uh, way to treat allergies? And uh, the doctor gave me a, a medicine that has helped a little bit with treating with the allergies. And, you know, when you have allergies, uh, it's hard to breathe well. Your head is clogged up and, and uh, things don't go as well for you uh, because you kind of feel like you're in this fog because you, you, you can't hear as good. And, and it's a terrible thing. But then you get things cleared out. And, uh, you know, my daughter, when, when she was growing up, she had the same problem with her allergies. And so finally, we decided that uh, they had to do surgery. And so they went in there and uh, uh, they opened up her sinus cavity and, uh, and they cleaned out all of her sinuses. And I mean, she was constantly getting infections and getting ear infections and, and all kind of uh, things like strep throat. And, and so they went in there and they, they took her adenoids out. They took her tonsils out. Uh, they cleaned out all of her sinuses, and uh, and she got done with that surgery. And she says, man, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I can now freely breathe. No more struggling to breathe because the allergies have been taken care of. When I think about our relationship with God, so many things we get, we get clogged up, right? We get slowed down uh, because we have unconfessed sin in our lives. It is our responsibility to keep in step with what God is doing in our hearts. You see, when we obey him, obedience is instantly doing all God tells me to do with the right heart, with the right attitude. It's immediate and it's instant. I'm actively doing what God has called me to do. Your heart will be tender when you follow through in obedience. Well, here's another protocol for prayer. It's called the protocol of listening, right? Revelation 3.20 if any man will hear my voice. Now, I don't know if you thought about this, but prayer is two-way communication. Mr. Rinker said, prayer is a dialogue between two people who love each other. It takes two people to pray. One speaks and one listens. When I think about praying to God, that the God of the universe actually listens to what I have to say. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
This verse gives us three tests to confirm our salvation. First, God's children hear the voice of Jesus. Second, the sheep are known by the shepherd. And then number three, the sheep follow their shepherd. Hearing and being known and following are three positive indications that you are saved by grace. But the passage also says that Jesus knows his sheep and he calls them by name. Our shepherd deals with us like a shepherd deals with sheep. He deals with us personally. He calls us by name. Oh, to hear his name. If we're going to be able to hear his name, we must be within earshot. I remember it was my kids when they were growing up. Uh, we would let them go out and play, and then we'd call for them to come in. And, and I would often tell them, I said, now, don't get beyond earshot. Now, I have a pretty loud voice, so they thought they'd go pretty far. Uh, but I never wanted them to go more than two or three houses down uh, so that if I needed them, I'd just open up the door and I'd yell for them, and they'd hear me to come on home. You know, the same is true in being in a close relationship with God. The Laodicean Christians in the book of Revelation Jesus says this word about them. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and and I will sup with him. Jesus took the initiative. He knocks on that door. He didn't send an angel. He went to the believers in person. Now notice that phrase is preferred with that important two-letter word, if any man hear my voice. That big word, if. You see, not all men hear the Lord, but if any man hears his voice and opens the door, Christ promises to come in. There is no need for us to beg Jesus to come in, no need to drag him in. He will come. He will enter into my heart that is open to him, but we must hear him speak before we can open the door. I want to encourage you to have a listening ear. Listen out for what Christ is saying to you today. Well, here's another protocol to having our prayers answered. It's called the protocol of surrender. In Matthew 6.10, it says this little phrase, Thy will be done. You see, one of the basis of God-focused prayer is found in this model of prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. Jesus teaches us how to pray, Thy will be done the Father's will, to be executed here on the earth. Now, what an incredible thought it is that the will of God can be realized here on this earth. You know, if you're a born-again believer, you have a tremendous privilege. You can cooperate with the Godhead. You can implement God's agenda in your life, in your family, in your church, in our community through prayer. Now, there's a mystery to how this works. But Christians oftentimes downplay this privilege. What a privilege it is to pray. What an opportunity God gives us that we can pray. Jesus prayed, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Remember when he was in the garden? And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As he was pondering that cup, that fierce wrath of his father that was going to fall upon him, all because of man's sin, he was wrestling with that. He is pondering that cup, and he's literally in that garden, and the burden was so great that he was literally hemorrhaging blood. There was sweat that was coming out of his pores, and the Bible says there were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
when the sinless Savior anticipated drinking that divine wrath for all mankind, he first had to come to grips with the agony of the cross. But Jesus died. He surrendered his will in Gethsemane so that we could have a relationship with God. You see, when we pray, we're not asking God to alter reality to adapt to our needs. God-focused prayer puts the priority on God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. We are surrendering our will to take his will. Prayer is not about getting our will done in heaven, but about God's will being fulfilled here on the earth. In order for that to happen, we must surrender our rights. You know, the Lord confronted Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. In that blazing light, Jesus arrested Saul's attention when he asked Saul, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was trembling, and he was astonished, and he replied with a prayer of surrender. He says, Lord, what will you have me to do? Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, began his spiritual journey with a prayer of surrender. He submitted himself fully to God's direction. Well, there's another protocol of the prayer that I think will help us as we communicate with God, and this is called the protocol of singing. Now, you don't have to have a good singing voice to follow this protocol. Psalm 100 verse number two says, come before his presence with singing. Now, there's a great reason that church services always begin with singing. It's kind of a protocol because we are told to come before his presence with singing. Now, the word singing conveys the idea of shouting for joy. It literally means to sound with a glad voice of triumph. Our worship leader often reminds me that the very first instrument that God created was the human voice. So we come before his presence with singing. You know, there's an entire book in the Bible that is dedicated to singing. The book of Psalms in the Old Testament is really a hymn book. It contains 150 psalms, which are songs. One of them states, let us make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The phrase joyful noise means to split the ears, to shout for joy. Those ear-piercing sounds. You remember when your, when your daughter was a baby? She would scream, and it would go right through your ears. I remember one time my daughter was startled, and she was right next to me. And she let out a shout, and uh, my ear was ringing for a day. It was so ear-piercing. You know, the Bible says that's the kind of way we should be singing unto the Lord. You know, I've heard it said that God has given us three things to refresh the soul. Nature, friendship, and music. Listen, life is hard, and we need this constant refreshment. People go to the beach or they go to the mountains to, to recharge. Nature has a way of adjusting our attitudes But friendship is also a tonic for the weary soul. Companionship is refreshing. Music, too, has its amazing ability to lift us. You know, I have a son that has autism. You know know a lot about him if you've been listening to our broadcast. But I discovered sometimes the best way that I get him to calm down is by listening to good, soothing, quiet music. Uh, He loves listening to Christmas carols. And And so uh, if you ever get stuck next to me at a traffic light and it's in the summertime and and my windows happen to be down and uh, and you hear Christmas music coming out of my minivan, uh, don't worry, I haven't lost my mind. I'm just trying to calm down my son who's in the backseat. You know, music has that capacity to liberate us and to revitalize our souls. 
You know, there's a powerful imperative that is found in the New Testament. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. If you want that reference, it's Colossians 3.16. You see, we must sing from our hearts to the Lord. The verse instructs us to sing to the Lord, not just about Him, but sing to Him. You see, the spirit of music and that person leading congregational music is so important as we worship the Lord and as we communicate to Him. Music is to rise from our hearts that are grace-filled because of what the Lord has done for us. Now, I absolutely love singing and and those revival atmospheres. I just wish I had a better singing voice, but spirit-filled people, as they sing and they put their voices at the top of their lungs and it comes from the bottom of their hearts, man, there is nothing on earth that compares to that praise, that revival that we experience. Oh, there's something else that you need to know about the protocol of prayer, and it's called the unity protocol. We're going back to what Jesus gave as the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, and in verses 9 through 13, we notice some phrases there. Our Father, give us, forgive us, and deliver us. There's not a single first-person pronoun in this prayer. You see, most people pray, I, me, and mine, but here we discover none of that is found in the Lord's Prayer. His disciples, as they are gathered to pray, and and Jesus is teaching them to pray, he says, our Father. Now, he could have said, my Father, but he said, our Father. He's giving us this instruction to carry out this unity within the protocol. He's saying, you are also part of the family. He's not just my dad. He's our dad, our Father, which is in heaven. So he's praying, give us, forgive us, and deliver us. Now, Jesus doesn't say, give me and forgive me and deliver me. No, he's bringing the family environment here. So considering this amazing prayer that Jesus gave in John 17, he says that thy will may be done, that we may be one as we are one. Jesus is earnestly praying. And really the prayer that Jesus offered is found in John 17. Matthew 6 is called the model prayer. John 17 is the actual prayer that Jesus prayed. And he prayed that we would be united, that we would be one with each other as he is one with his Father. You know, when you think about division within the church, oh, it just breaks the heart of God that the church will be divided. You know, disorder in the house uh, of the Lord hinders our prayer. Carnal divisions grieve the Spirit of God. You know, the flesh can manifest itself through deeds such as hatred and and quarreling and, and strife and contention. All these things contribute to disunity. But there is tremendous power in unity. Unity can be built around the wrong things, but if a church will build unity around prayer, they will experience the power of God upon their lives. You know, if godless unity can achieve big things, just imagine what could be achieved if we as believers in Christ came together under the banner of Jesus Christ. The potential is astounding. You see, we must not take for granted that we are to be one with Christ and one with each other. Well, there's another protocol that is so necessary for a powerful prayer life. It's called the protocol 
of forgiveness. Jesus said, as we forgive our debtors, he says, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. The first three requests in the model prayer are all Godward. They involve God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. The rest of the prayer involves instructions for our concerns. Give us our daily bread and then forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. You see, our relationship with God affects our relationship with everybody else. Our relationship with men impacts our relationship with God. Hence, forgiveness is needed. Well, we're going to have to finish up this study on our broadcast a week from today. We're going to continue on with Biblical Protocols for Prayer. Now, if you'd like to get this book, I'm sure that Harold Vaughn will be happy to send it to you. It is made available through Christ Life Publications. And there's a website that you can go to. But if you just Google in Christ Life Ministries, that will take you to his website. And you can go ahead and order this book if this has been a blessing to you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Listen, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And so why don't you come and worship with us at Hickory Ridge Community Church, either 9 o'clock or 1030. We'd love to see you. And if we can help you with anything, please give me a call, 757-421-7500. Or you can use my cell phone to shoot me a text or give me a call, 252-267-2365. Well, have a great weekend. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.